Father, again, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for sending your son to die for us so that we could have a relationship with you. And Father, as we think of just the cross, we think of just what was all accomplished there. Father, and the freedom that we have. And, and Father, I pray this morning as we look into your word, Father, I pray that you would just challenge us. Father, I pray that you would use me, because Father, this morning I have absolutely nothing to say, but you have everything to say. And I pray that you would use your word to accomplish everything this morning, Father. Nothing that I have to say, just remove me and let your spirit just work in here this morning. We just thank you and we praise you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. In today's world, all we hear is negative. All we hear is negative comments made about young people. We open up our newspapers. We see young people found guilty of crimes. We see young people just in the newspaper for, for different things that are not, not pleasing to God. This morning I want to encourage the youth of Calvary Bible Church that there is hope. And the hope that we have found is in Jesus Christ. I also want to say that we have a lot of young people here at Calvary Bible Church that are striving to be like Christ. That are doing great things for the Lord. No matter what the Tribune or the Guardian may tell you, there are a lot of young people in this country, and especially here at this church, that are trying to do a lot for Jesus Christ. The last time I spoke, I challenged each one of us as believers to ask ourselves one simple question. Is your life worth imitating to point others to Christ? There's more I want to continue with that challenge, but I want to ask the youth of Calvary Bible Church, are you being an example for people in your school, in your work, and in your home? On our winter retreat, even though our topic was purity, Tommy Nelson, the speaker, said something that I want us to think about this morning. He said that his generation had fired God. Has our generation fired God? If so, what are we doing to encourage the next generation to change this? This morning I want to focus on this generation, but for us older people, I don't want you to just check out now, fall asleep, because you say, well, it's a youth service. Because I think this morning, what we're going to look at in God's Word, we can all apply to our lives. And we can all be challenged to be an example for Christ. Because as God's Word tells us, we, as we look at this, we are to examine our hearts and lives no matter how old we may be or how young we may be. Today's passage, we want to focus on 1 Timothy 4.12. As Paul instructed Timothy to let no one criticize him because of his age, but he needed to be above that and be an example to all those who the Lord had put him over. We must remember that Timothy at this time, many believe, was between the ages of 30 to about 40 years old. And he has just... In his book, Paul has laid out the good qualifications of a servant, what a servant should do. And just like in today's society, in today's world, young people get a lot of criticism. And Timothy was no different. Timothy was being criticized because of his age. Because of how young he was. People had a hard time respecting him. They had a hard time looking at him as a leader. Because of just how young he was. Many times when we are criticized, whether we are young, I'm just going to use this, I think this mic is, I'm just going to use this. 
Many times when we are criticized, whether we are young or old, we want to give up and always blame others because they don't give an encouragement. Let me say this, though, that we should encourage others, but our human nature, instead of seeing the best in people, we always see the worst in people. Let me ask you one simple question this morning. When was the last time you encouraged somebody? Think about that for a second. When was the last time you encouraged somebody? Now turn that question around. When was the last time you criticized somebody or you put somebody down? I can almost guarantee that we would remember the time that we put down somebody more than we encouraged somebody. And that is the type of world and society that we live in that we always look for the worst. And we always are looking to put someone down instead of lift them up. Paul wanted to make it very clear to Timothy that don't let this discouragement defeat you. But you need to rise against it and press on to be an example for everyone to look up to. So this morning I want us to look at this one verse, 1 Timothy 4.12. And it says, Let no one despise you in your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul gives five areas that he can be an example to others. And the first one is in his speech. Let's not forget our speech says everything about us. As Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty four, You brood of vipers, how can you speak of good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This verse clearly speaks that a person whose heart is not right will be revealed by their speech. You see, we can only fool people for a limited time by the things we do. But what's in the heart will eventually come out through our mouths. What's in our hearts will eventually be seen through the way we speak to others, by our actions, by the things that we do. Psalms 19.14 said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The words of our mouths must be the reflection of our hearts. Paul also reminds us in Colossians 4.6, he says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know and how you ought to answer each person. Again, our speech must be gracious. Our speech must bring salt, must season the earth. This is what our speech is supposed to do. You see, too many times, people don't get to know us because of what? The way we talk. By the way they hear us conduct ourselves. By the things that they say. Because they hear words, they hear the way we conduct ourselves, so they don't want anything to do with us. They don't even want to get to know us anymore because they already heard enough. They've already heard things that, you know what? That's not a person that I want to be around. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul again says, But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You see, Paul makes it very clear that he talks about being a new person in Christ. He says, these are the things that you must put on. But he said, these are the things in verse in this verse that you must take off. Put away your filthy mouths. Put away your obscene language. Put away gossip, slander. Put away all these things. Because when people hear what you say, that tells a lot, as Jesus already told us, out of your heart. They see the type of person you are by the way you say. 
by the way you talk. Ephesians 4.20 says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only as such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Again, let no corrupt talk. What is corrupt talk? Things that aren't good. Things that aren't going to be an encouragement to people. Again, he says to build up. Again, when's the last time you've actually built someone up? When's the last time you tore somebody down? You see, as we think of this as young people, and as we think of older people, this applies to all of us because our mouths tell so much about us. The way the things we say say so much about us. Let's not forget that in James chapter 3, the tongue is described as the most deadly weapon that we have. The same little tongue in our mouths. Deadly. Poisonous. And I think that's a very, that passage, as we think about it, and we look at it, you know, we would think that the most deadliest things are, you know, guns and stuff, but no, the tongue. And we've all heard the saying, stick and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we know that's the biggest lie ever said. Because if we've all honest in this room, words have hurt us at one point in our life. What someone has said to us has hurt the way we go about life. So as I talk to young people, I want to challenge you, as you think of your life, as you think about the way you conduct yourself in school, by the things that you say, the things that are said on a daily basis, remember, you are a representation of God. If you say you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it must be seen in your speech by the things that you say. Secondly, it says, young people must be an example in your conduct, as Paul instructs here. It simply can be described about our daily, how we conduct ourselves, how we go about our lives on a daily basis. This can be described as righteous living. Paul knew as a pastor and being young, Timothy would be held to a higher standard, that he would have to be careful to conduct himself in a Christ-like manner as much as possible. Not only in this good advice for pastors and other ministers, but it is good advice for all of us. People are watching. And we are willing to practice what we preach. You see, a lot of times as we think about the way we, we, we could talk a good Christian game sometimes. You know, we go on Facebook and we quote these verses and we put them up on our Facebook pages and think, oh, I just put this nice quote of Jesus Christ on Facebook and now I'm a good Christian fellow now because I did that. And that's going to be a result of everything I do in life. But guess what? Actions, again, speak louder than words. Sometimes I say things, but it has to follow up in my actions. It has to follow up in the way I go about life. Unbelievers are quick to criticize the church and even Christianity as a whole when our conduct and actions are not Christ-like. Our lives are a living testimony for Jesus Christ. The only question for us this morning is whether that we are helping or hurting the cause. The question for each one of us is, is our conduct, our behavior, is it edifying to the body of Christ? Is it really pointing people to Christ? Or is it pushing people away from a relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, too many times as believers, that's what we do. We push people away from Christ because the way we conduct ourselves does not line up with God's Word. 
It's totally different than what God's Word tells us that we must do. But we call ourselves Christians. Some people like to say, little Christ. We are a representation of Christ in all that we do. The way we conduct ourselves in all, anywhere that we go, we represent Christ. And the challenge again is, what are people seeing in you? Gatorade at one time, their slogan was, is it in you? Well, the question is, is Christ in you? If he is, and I, and I love the Gatorade commercial because I don't know how many remembered years ago, but when they drank the Gatorade and he sweated, the Gatorade came out. How many of y'all remember that commercial? Anyone remember that commercial? Anyway, the Gatorade came out. All the sports fans, because you know, be like Mike. That was our big commercial back in the day. But we remember that whole sweat, you know, the Gatorade coming out. And the question for each of us is this. When we are squeezed, when things aren't going the way that it should, is Christ still coming out? Is Christ still being seen in our conduct? For young people in school, when you get that bad grade, or somebody steps on your shoes, or they take your lunch or do something, do you still represent Christ? For older people at work, what's the same thing? Do you represent Christ to your co-workers? Do people see Christ in the way you conduct yourself? In Titus 2.10, as Paul is teaching on strong doctrine, it says this. It says, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. In our conduct, whatever we do, we are a representation of God. Again, what do people see in your behavior on a daily basis? First Peter 1.15 says, But as he who is called is you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let us remember that as we think again the standard, the standard is not the person next to you in the pew, but the standard is Christ himself. We are not to compare ourselves to one another, but we are to compare ourselves to Christ. He is the standard. He is the one that we strive to be like. He is the one that we want in everything that we do for people to see. Again, as I said the last time I spoke, I could look at the person next to me in the pew and say, you know what, I might be a better person than you. But I can't say that to God. He's perfect. And that's who I'm striving to be like, as I believe it, in my conduct. Earl Palmer tells in his book entitled Enormous Exception. It's a story of a pre-med student at the University of California at Berkeley who became a Christian after a long spiritual journey, which included many doubts and questions. When Palmer asked the young man why he had become a believer, he answered by saying, the thing had influenced him the most was not the Bible, not a great Christian book, or even a sermon that he heard at church. Instead, this young man pointed to the actions of a classmate who happened to be a Christian. It seemed that this young pre-med student had gotten a bad case of the flu and had missed 10 days of classes the previous semester. His Christian friend took it upon himself to pick up all the assignments and devoted his several days to help him catch up. The pre-med student told Palmer, you know that kind of thing isn't just done. I wanted to know what made this guy act the way he did. I even found myself asking if I could go to church with him. 
Again, it says, act like you're saved. We are to demonstrate that we are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are living for Him, and you can tell if people are saved or not by the way they act. Again, it goes by how you conduct yourselves. Through this whole process, the, the guy saw how his friend acted and saw Jesus in him. What are people seeing in you? The third thing that Paul calls us to be an example is in love. This is something that I think is very hard for us to grasp, whether you are young or old, because the world tells us to take care of yourself first. But Scripture is completely different, and it tells us to take care of others first. I think that we all remember a song, a Sunday school song that we used to sing, and I'm not going to sing it because I'm a terrible singer. But there's a song that said, love is something that you give it away. But I, I'm not going to sing it because that, that ain't going to be good. But love is something that you give it away. Love is not something that you hold on to. Even in Scripture, they say they will know you are Christians by your love. When's the last time you showed Christ's love to somebody? When's the last time that you've, you know, thought of others before yourself? You see, love is something that outflows from our relationship with Christ. When we realize that what Christ did for us, as He sent His Son to die for us, that we can have a personal relationship with Him, our response should always be to show this love to somebody else. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is what true love is. That we sacrifice, that we lay down our life for others. William McDonald comments on this verse and says this, Their love should be of such nature that they are will- they should be willing to die for one another. People are willing to do this, do not fight with each other. The great example of human sacrifice was for a man to die for his friends. The disciples of Christ are called to this type of devoting. Some lay down their lives in a literal sense. Others spend their whole lives in untiring service for the people of God. The Lord Jesus is the example. He laid down his life for his friends. Of course, they were his enemies when he died for them. But when they are saved, they become his friends. So if it's correct to say that he died for his friends as well as his enemies. This is love. This is the type of love that we are to show to one another. Whether this morning you're young, whether you're old, there. There's no old people. Whether you're, you're young or older in here, this is the type of love that we are to show. The Christ love. What about you? Are you showing love to others? Are you showing Christ's love to us? Are you being a sacrifice? Are you sacrificing your time, your effort, yourself for others? The fourth thing that Paul urges Timothy to be an example is in his faith. And this is not talking about his faith in Christ, but this refers to his faithfulness in ministry. Today is a challenge for so many people in ministry. As they will commit to something for a short while, they will commit and say, I'm going to be to practice every week. And then they miss this week here. Then it becomes easier to miss this week here. And the next thing we know, what happens? The out of ministry completely. You see, we are to be faithful. And let me just say this, you're not being faithful to this church. You're being faithful to God when you're in ministry. Because 
When we are in ministry, that's who we are being. We're trying to be Christ. We're trying to be a representation of God. This is who we are to honor. Not our ministry leader, but God. And I think if we got that in our minds, if we understood and we recognized that God is in charge of the ministry, then I think we would have a different attitude. I think we'd be more faithful to our ministries. I think we'd be more faithful in all that we do. But I also think, as this passage is not really talking about faith in Christ, I think, though, as we think of this, we can apply it a little different, because I think if we say our faith is strong in Christ, we will have a greater appreciation and we would be more faithful. Young people, don't think that you can't make a difference because you're young. Don't think this morning that you are here and, you know what, I'm just a young person, I can do nothing, but you can't. There's no one too young to do anything for God. No one too old. I think sometimes what happens is we think as older people, we think we've reached the age, the plateau, the plateau, and we think, you know what, I can't do anything else for God. That's not true. We never get to that point. Because we are faithful to the Creator who has given us life, who has given us the breath of life, and who has given us this relationship that we have with Him to continue to do life on a daily basis. Young people, don't forget Casey Burnell and her faith in the Columbine shooting. April 20th, 1999 began like any other day. And Casey had only been a Christian for a year or so. But a difference that Christ had made in her life was evident to everyone. When she and the rest of the students entered Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado that day, they had no idea what was getting ready to happen. But two of their fellow students had come to shoot, come to school that day, intending to kill as many people as possible. When the shooting started, Casey and several other students were in the library. She tried to hide on her table, but when one of the gunmen entered the library, he saw her. But instead of just shooting her, as he had been doing, according to other students, he walked over her, put a gun to her head and asked if she really believed in God. Then after she had responded by saying that she did, in fact, believe in God, he shot her dead. This morning, I wanted to remind you of Casey's story because I believe this is very important for us who are Christians to be men and women of faith. Our faith should make a difference in our lives and in lives of others, just as Casey's life made a life. And I don't know how many of you followed that story, and actually that has been 15, almost 15 years ago. But to see the impact of this one girl and how she and, and some of her friends that they stood up for Christ and just to see that people came to know Christ at the funeral and through this whole process because of her faith. This young girl taking a stand for Christ, even with a gun to her head. You know, none of us in this room might have to face that. None of us in this room might have to face a gun to our head and ask us, you know, do you believe in God? But you know what? As believers, we're portraying this every day in our lives that we do life. Are you being a representation of God? Are you being faithful to God? And last but not least, Paul instructs Timothy to be an example in purity. This example is not only keeping pure until marriage, but this is being pure in all of its motives. In 1 Timothy 3, 2, as Paul gives the outline of an elder, he says this, 
Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. You see, this is probably one of the greatest downfalls of church leaders all over the world. Purity. Of course, Paul did not know what the world would become today. Paul did not know the internet would come out and all these things would happen. But as I was preparing this message, the Lord took me to another point of purity. And he brought me to pornography, which I think is a big struggle. Because I think sometimes even as married men, and we know that young people struggle with this because it's right at their fingertips. But I think sometimes even as married men, we think sometimes, well, I don't cheat on my wife, so I'm staying pure. But when you open up these magazines, you go to these websites, you are cheating. You are taking something away from your spouse. And let me just say this. This isn't just for members of a congregation that struggle with this. Pastors, as statistics show, in the 2000 survey in Christianity Day, 564 pastors. This is, this is what they said. 51% of pastors said internet pornography is a possible temptation. 43% of pastors say they had, they had visited a porno site. 21% said they are doing so a few times a year. And 6% a couple times a month or more. 37% of pastors said viewing pornography was a current struggle. 75% of the pastors said they do not make themselves accountable to anyone for their internet use. In 2002, of 1,351 pastors surveyed, 54% said that they had viewed internet pornography within the last year. And 30% of these had visited them within the last 30 days. Today, I want to encourage each one of us, if you struggle with pornography, if you struggle with staying pure, find someone to be accountable to. Find someone that could keep you accountable and, and ask those tough questions. You see, I think sometimes we, we don't want to ask the tough questions. You know, we want to keep it on this surface and we don't want to go deeper. But as believers, especially as, as even young people, you know, sometimes young people don't think about accountability, but let's keep each other accountable. Men, women, you know, everyone. Accountability is what we all need. Accountability is something I think we don't, we, we talk about, but how many of us do have an accountable partner? Someone that we are accountable to. I think every believer should have an accountability partner because guess what? We are flesh-bearing people. We all struggle with sin. Different sins. And I think that's why the body is so unique. Because guess what? You may struggle with this, and I may struggle with that. But guess what? We can help each other stay accountable in each of those areas. So as I think of this last one, impurity, you know, on our winter retreat, we challenge each young person to stay pure for their spouse, their husband, or their wife. But I think even as a whole congregation, as we think of this whole concept of purity, as we even could think of pornography, let us stay pure. Let our motives be pure. Let our minds be pure. Let everything that we're about be pure before God. You see, we can hide it from people. But there's one person that we can't hide any of it from. That's God Himself. That's who we answer to. That's the one that sees everything. So how do we apply this, this morning? I think instead of just saying youth, don't let no one look down on you because you are young, 
I think we all could say, put your name in there. Nicholas, be an example to all you come in contact with in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Because guess what? As a believer, we are all an example of Christ. Either pushing someone away or bringing them to Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, I pray that you continue to be with us. That, Father, that this morning that we won't just be hearers, but we be doers. That, Father, that you challenge each young person, each person that's here this morning, that they would be an example for you. And, Father, I pray even now as we leave this place, as we go out these doors, that we would represent you in a way that's pleasing to you. We just thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.